0: Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. To get the Crime Writers on After Show right now, go to
1: patreon.com slash partners in crime media.
2: I'm Rebecca LaVoy, and this is Crime Writers On, the original true crime review podcast that digs into other podcasts, true crime, pop culture. And this week, we'll confess our feelings about Netflix's multi-language anthology, Criminal. Then we'll take off with a new fiction thriller podcast from Radiotopia called Passenger List. Joining me to get that done and more is my real-life husband, true crime co-author, and podcaster I married, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Rebecca. Also with us is journalist, true crime author, former defense investigator, licensed private investigator, and certified cat lady, and best school chaperone ever, Lara Bricker. Hello,
3: Lara. Hello, that's me.
2: (laughs) And finally, our resident cynic, the author behind the noir novels known as the City Trilogy, and our Patreon book club host, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Hello, Rebecca. Well, for the uh, plugs portion of our show, first, Kevin, I want to issue an apology to our listeners. Yeah, why is that? We've been dealing with a, I'm sad to say, dying dog situation. Yeah. And she's still alive as of this recording, but... (laughs) It's an excellent chance she won't be by the time oh, this podcast comes out. It's, it's, it's terrible. It's hard to
1: think this podcast is gonna outlive our dog. I've
2: spent seventy-five percent of today crying, but I just want to say to our Patreon listeners, we did promise a new Mary with podcast, and I have not been able to record one because I literally just would have cried the entire time we did it. That would have so, been really
1: entertaining. Yes. So I, I do I
2: do not believe in grief porn, as we've discussed many times on the show. So I do apologize for that, but We do have a new Crime Writers on After Show that was being released the same time as this podcast. And today on the After Show, we are talking about the fifth. Yes, you heard it here. Today, as we record this, October 3rd, 2019, is the fifth anniversary of the dropping of the first episode of Serial Season 1. Wow. Wow. So we're going to talk a little bit about our reflections on Serial Season 1, and we're also going to talk about an update in the In the Dark Season 2 case Laura's going to fill us in on around the Curtis Flowers legal stuff. Right, Laura? That's right. And some surprise fun stuff. Now, Laura, um, we did just allude to the fact that you are, what, the best school chaperone ever, but that was a lie, right? Well, no,
3: I I was. It wasn't my fault. So, um... (laughs) I'll start with that. I chaperoned a hike today. Now, this is the second year I've chaperoned a hike. And one of the teachers is like, we've got you for like five more years. Just get ready. I'm like, oh, God. Um, so <laughs> it's a it wasn't. E- no, no. She was like, she was happy to have me. But I was like, I'm never leaving. It's like the Hotel California with these hikes. Because we got up. It was an easy hike. Um, the southern main Mount Agameticus, which I can never say correctly, and it's not it's not too bad as far as hikes go, uh, you know. It's like it was like a half an hour up, no big deal. And then the way down, uh, some of the young children decided to have fun with one of the new teachers. And so there was like a couple different groups. I was in like the middle pack, and I'm like, God, we've been walking a while. And then I'm like, We're walking uphill. And all of a sudden, I hear the group in front of us like, Everybody stop! Nobody move! And they had to, like, get out the GPS because apparently the kids had told the teacher the wrong trail is kind of a joke. So we had been, like, circumnavigating the entire mountain. So it was, like, two hours to get down. (laughs) And so we had to, like, turn around, walk all the way around to the other side to get to the trail. But then in the middle of it, I think a crime may have been committed because—
1: Someone would kill killed that fucking kid. No, all of
3: a sudden, out of nowhere, this guy just comes like running down the mountain, almost knocks over one of the teachers, like jumps on a log, snaps it in half, and continues running. And I turn around, I go, he's on the run. Somebody's after him. Everybody, like, and they're like, oh my God, seriously? Like, of course she thinks that. But it was like he just like ran through. So
1: this is not going to be our next. Leave it to Bricker? <laughs> it's
3: not. It's not. I was oh, going to record that. I was like, well, so I know. She
2: just cr- releases for all those stupid kids. I know. All the kids. <laughs> I was like, I don't want to deal with all that
3: stuff. But um, it, was, it was quite an adventure. I got like 12, 13,000 steps in going round and round and round the mountain. Uh, it was like, it was a little crazy.
2: Toby, real question. If you were chaperoning one of Sadie's school trips and it was a hiking trip on a tiny mountain, what would you do to the kid who on purpose... Picked the wrong trail on the way down and like made the whole thing last way longer than it had to.
0: I would probably tell him to wait there while I went and got the bus. <laughs> <laughs> and then when I got back to Durham, call his parents and tell them where <laughs> they can find him.
2: Yeah, that's about right. It's about what I would do too. Now, Kevin. Yeah. Last night. As we record this, of course, so like it's time shifted. But last night, like tonight, not when this podcast comes out. Yeah, That's
1: why I keep telling you this is not a good policy to do. Stop that. it! I just want to, just...
2: I want to acknowledge the existence of the passage of time. All right. Don't give me a hard time today, Kevin. All right,
1: amateur. <laughs> go ahead.
2: Do I need to bring up the dying dog again to get your sympathy? No, no,
1: it's my dying dog too. I Come know. On.
2: So last night, you finally did that thing you've been teasing on the podcast for weeks. You walked a mile, a.k.a. about a tenth of a mile, in high-heeled shoes, raised a bunch of money, and our listeners really came through. Did they not?
1: They did. I kept having to up my goal. It was great. (laughs) I was hoping to make a couple hundred dollars to benefit the Crisis Center of Central New Hampshire, and uh, instead, I made more than $3,000. You crushed it. Wow. Yeah, so I gave shout-outs to people uh, last time who had donated, and more kept donating, so I'm just going to pick up the thread from the last time... We recorded, I want to thank uh, Gimi, Martha Douglas, Rita W. Wait,
2: Gimi? How do you spell that?
1: G-E-E-M-Y.
2: Okay, that sounds right.
1: Yeah, okay. (laughs) Rita W., Diana Bishop, Michaela Bone, Sonia, Dana Kelly, Jennifer Tate, LB, Alyssa Root, Allison, Christine Cooper, Lisa Strawn, Jeff Turner, Joanne Skyam True, Leah Kozier, Ashley Bledsoe, Stacy P. Ann Daly, Andrea Norman, Jennifer Rubenstein—that's my sister. Arizona Snapshots, Claire Grudzicki, Karen Clark, Lindy Seacrest, Kim X.T. and Laura Bricker.
2: Oh, Laura! Nice. You know whose name I didn't hear on that list. Who? Toby fucking Ball.
1: I know. (laughs) Let's just assume between now and then, Toby. Jesus, Toby! Like Five bucks?
2: You couldn't give five bucks to the poor women fleeing domestic violence?
0: (laughs) I'll stop by and give them some bills. Oh God! (laughs) You have to match Laura's donation.
3: What did Laura give?
1: She gave a nice donation.
3: Was she generous? She was, I was very I generous. Thought I was generous. <laughs> I mean, those high heels. Is there
0: a
1: uh, she gave she gave her Rothie's
0: money for nice, them.
3: nice. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Is there a mm-hmm. Kevin Flynn suite at this place now?
3: No,
1: there's not.
2: <laughs> That's not what it's Give about. It's, about. it's not about the Jackie. glory. It's no. about actually no. raising the money.
1: Yeah, I will say, and thanks to everybody. Um, our team was the largest team fundraiser. And uh, I was one of the leading fundraisers because of so. many. There was many. a
2: ringer on, on your team, though. Though you would have been the leading one, except the ringer on your
3: team has I had a the lot most, of very the rich most, friends. The most individual. Is the ringer <laughs> on your team, the guy with the private plane. Uh, it's the wife of the guy with the private <laughs> yeah, plane. Okay,
2: but uh, yes, he Kevin had the most individual donors. He was like the Bernie Sanders of this team. So many individuals. Yeah. She had up. one
1: giant donation yes. if that one didn't come through i would have beat her
2: yes and kevin had the he had the elizabeth warren of walk a mile in her shoes campaigns <laughs> hundreds of individuals gave a little bit of money rather than one person writing a five thousand
1: dollar donation <laughs> that's how we're gonna do
2: it uh, i don't know I have poor, a plan
3: for that poor bernie man he's had a rough week he has yeah. he has you know? not as rough as my dog
2: but that that's no i you know, yeah. think no no All right. Are we ready to begin the show and like put this other stuff aside? You guys ready? Let's do it. Yeah, yeah. I'm ready. First up, Netflix's new crime series is an anthology set in a police interview room and its adjacent observation suite. In Criminal, we see a specialized team try to get suspects to crack like a doctor accused of murdering his stepdaughter.
3: The day you dread as a father is the day you discover someone has had sex with your little girl, okay? So,
2: (laughs) be in no doubt when that day comes early, years early, years
1: early, let me tell you, that is a nightmare made real. Were I to have killed anyone.
2: (sighs) In addition to the crimes, the audience gets a look at the police detectives who sit in on the other side of the two-way mirror. This includes a detective named Tony who has been pining for his colleague,
3: Natalie. Just because he's back don't mean that they'll get back together or, or that you'll have less of a chance if a chance is what you're after. I don't
1: know what you're talking about.
3: Have you ever told her how you feel? You don't have to answer that. It's just. It's gotta be keeping your mouth shut, hasn't it? come comment. What makes
2: Criminal unique is the 12 part series is divided into four iterations, each shot in the same interrogation room with four separate sets of actors in four different languages. In addition to Criminal UK, the series will be reviewing, the show also brings us to Spain, France, and Germany without ever leaving that set. Now, we will be talking about plot points from the three episodes Criminal UK and not the foreign language episode. So to stay spoiler-free, look for the time code listed in our show notes. Now, Kevin, what do you think of the concept of this show? It is multinational, except each show is shot on the same set. They just sort of swap in location out the window, and actors. What do you think about that?
1: I like that gimmick. I don't think I've seen that before. And it's uh, it's great, because it's not just like, now we're going to do a French version of the English story we just saw. There are 12 different crimes just, you know, three in each language. And the idea that they're going to do it on the same set, except, you know, apparently one is in France. And that's why there's no lettering on the coffee machine, just photographs of beans, because <laughs> one of them is going to be in German and whatnot. I, I thought it was really clever.
2: Toby, what do you think of this as a setup? Same set just swapping in new actors to do the same thing in four different languages. Of course, we only watched the UK one, but we kind of got the gist, like watching the previews of the other ones. But what did you think of that as like sort of a setting for this?
0: Uh, I think it's a good idea. I I didn't see the previews for the other ones. But I mean, it's almost like an experiment where, you know, you're controlling the setting and the basic concept. And then you can kind of see like the different cultural variations, I guess, that come through. When the different countries do their episodes
2: now, Laura, you really liked the actual set for this, right?
3: Yeah, I did. I liked well because it was pretty stark. But what I really liked was I, I you know, it's a little thing—the red light that they had around the two-way mirror, uh, like window. a frame, right? Yeah, and it was just the color, kind of. I felt gave it this sort of like modern quality and watching it, you know, because it was everything else like is, is pretty straightforward and basic. Like there's not a lot in the interview room. There's not a lot in the other room except for the super cool swear jar, which um, we need that. <laughs> I think we should start that. But I just, I don't know. I liked the lighting and, and that really, to me, I don't know, just kind of gave it a nice, bumped it up a little bit.
1: It also was functional because it, it kept the audience oriented as to what side of the, the mirror yeah. they're looking at.
2: Now, I have to say, we only watch the UK episodes, but I do understand the concept of the series. And we have listeners on Facebook who have said that one of the most interesting things about this series is that it does give you a peek at the rules around interrogations in the criminal justice system in each of the countries in which it's set. And as you know, I don't want to say as you know, because I know, Kevin, you do not read as many British procedurals. As I do and as Laura does.
1: If the answer is more than one, then the answer, then you are correct.
2: (laughs) But you kept asking me, Kevin, like little specifics about like, why do they keep acting like they're running out of time? I'm like, oh, because in the UK and in Britain, they can only hold somebody for 24 hours. Um, We know that from reading 10 million British detective novels, and they have to do these sort of series of disclosures as they do in an interview. But I think that that's an interesting aspect of it, is that the thing that the international uh, plot lines brings is the opportunity to show how they do this in different countries. Now, Kevin, you made a note that's interesting to me. The concept actually puts a lot of pressure on the actors and the writing.
1: Yeah, because there's like no action, really. It's mostly just dialogue. And so the strength of that is going to lie on the shoulders of both the writers and the actors were just going to be spending a lot of time in that box. And, you know, I think that there certainly was, you know, I think in the first two episodes of UK, I think there was some really strong performances by the suspects. You know, I think that's what kept those episodes chugging along. It was, it was about them and that, you know, the, the story that they're telling. Unlike something where you're going to have a, a chase and, a you know, a shootout at the end, So it's much more cerebral.
2: Now, Toby, you also made notes acknowledging the pressure of a setting like this for a show like this and the pressure it puts on both the actors and the writing. How do you think it succeeded? We watched three episodes. We had a case about a doctor and being the suspect in his stepdaughter's murder. We had a case about a woman uh, being the suspect in her sister's husband's murder, and then we had a third case about a lorry driver a, that means truck, by the way, who uh, basically dumped his truck load of immigrants, and the cops are trying to find the truck so that you know they can save any of the people who might be in the truck. Three very different cases. But a lot of pressure kind of put on on the writing and the actors there. And you also sent some notes about that. What are your thoughts?
0: I think there's pressure and there's also like serious limitations. Because at least for the UK ones, they all had the same structure, which is you start the interrogation, you either get no story or you get a story that's not quite true. And then something happens and then you get the real story. Like that's sort of the model so I think that that's pretty restrictive And I think it's hard to make it Compelling I mean even during the first one Like you get the first story You're like well You know I can't believe that's actually What this show is going to be about Is this guy telling the story And that turns out to be the deal And then by, by the time the third one rolls around It's like okay Let's see where things get flipped And then you know as Kevin was saying I think the acting There's a hell of a lot of pressure on the actors And I thought the cops Were all pretty good I thought David Tennant was good. I thought the, the middle one that had the, the woman actress, woman actor who. Yes, um, from Marvel.
2: From the Marvel movie. She was Agent Carter yeah. in oh. the Marvel universe. Yes.
0: Okay. Um, <laughs> so Toby was impressed.
2: Toby was like, I don't pay attention to the world outside of my own cerebral life.
1: She had a different accent.
0: I, know, so, yeah. Yeah. I mean, she just. It was a demanding role, and I don't know who would have done a good job with it. It, it was clear that she was acting and she was probably doing a good job of acting, but it was definitely acting.
1: Her face is all blown up. It's all fat. It's gone beating her right up. She won't let us talk about any of that, will she, Mary? She says, you know, oh, come inside.
3: You no, know, so
1: <clears throat> so uh, we go inside, and uh, he's just sitting in the corner where he usually sits, and they've just been watching the football like nothing's happened. And, and all he does is he turns to me and he says, like, did you get it? You know, meaning the whiskey. And I, all I do is I, cause I'm so angry and I'm still in shock. And all
2: I do is nod
0: like a bloody idiot.
2: Well, we should say for clarification, the actress in the episode two is Haley Atwell playing Stacey Doyle, uh, that sort of cockney, tough <laughs> Stacey Doyle in that episode. <laughs> did anybody recognize the actress from episode three? who played the character of Adele Addo. Kevin, I feel like I'm doing it a hey, it's that guy like you do on these other stories.
1: Hey, it's that guy.
2: Do you recognize her, Kevin?
1: Yeah, she was the um the attorney, the prosecutor from 7 Seconds. Yes. I forget oh. the actress's name, but she did a great job.
2: The actress's name is Claire Hope Ashity. And yes, she's a hey, it's that woman, who appeared in seven seconds and who, up until watching this, I had no idea she was British. Although I should have. I should have, because every time someone gives a great performance in something, they always They're turn out British. to be British. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. No. no offense, American All the good actors. ones. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, do you remember, Kevin, like, 12 years ago, or for how long it was ago, we were watching The Wire and we discovered that Idris Elba was British.
1: It's like, Stringer Bells from England? <laughs>
2: The fuck. And of course, now of course we know that because he's in a million things. But like, come on, come on, Stringer. Anyway, Laura, you had a note that I wanted to get into a little bit because a lot of people in our Facebook group talked about this. That the sort of need when you have a setup where you have an interrogation and it's that intimate. Mm
3: -hmm. This is
2: only three episodes. You can only do so much with it. But they do try to inject some backstory, personal life stuff with the cops as we see them sort of bantering in the observation room as they're watching these interrogations. What do you think of that?
3: You know, I was glad for that. Because for me, I just felt like being in the interrogation room all the time. Honestly, it kind of started to drag for me. I was just like, okay, like, I mean, this is interesting. And I get it. And there's strategy, but let's have some action. So I think adding, you know, the backstory between the different Detectives and investigators that were in there, you know kind of shows you another angle to the stress that's that's going on during the investigation, like you know because you've got the one guy who's been pining away for the the lead uh, detective inspector woman, you know, but he hasn't revealed it you've got the guy who comes back, the uh, you know hot, sexy guy who's like ooh he's back in town because I just for me, I was just like i don 't think I can watch a solid show." of just the interview room so it gave kind of broke it up a little bit for me and kind of moved the story along so that it was a little bit more multifaceted. I have mixed feelings
2: about it because with only 3 episodes, we're only going to get so much. You know what I mean? Yeah. So we learn a lot about the couple of like cops we get to know intimately in this. We you know, we learned that the one guy has a crush on You know, the D.I., uh, he is nerdy but also handsome. And then we learn that the other cop is an alcoholic. Like, we learned that in episode three, right? He's been secretly putting booze in his thermos and going to the coffee machine and, like, mixing it together. And he reveals his old tricks.
3: And that was, to me, like... A little much the way that reveal happened. I think that one because that one I didn't even see coming. I was like, um, I, I didn't even like there was no signs of anything up until that point. So it kind of came out of left. Well, heel he to he me.
1: he kept like
0: shooing people away from his coffee cup.
2: And also, like nobody was ever coming out of
3: that other room. Like who would uh-huh. see
2: that? Yeah, it was
0: a little too convenient. Yeah, uh,
2: yeah, yeah.
0: That that whole plot thing. Although I thought that one British guy was like the sort of nerdy guy was kind of like British Dean Strang.
2: Yes. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yes. Hot British Dean Strang. There you go. Yeah. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I want to go back and watch it all over again now. All over again with new eyes. Oh. <laughs> Kevin, do you remember when I got to talk to Dean Strang for like five minutes?
1: You know, his phone number is still posted up in Studio C. You
2: know why? I don't know why. Because I loved him oh, so I'm call him again. much. I loved him <laughs> so much. That reminds me, sidebar, on the after show, I also have to tell you guys about the incredible encounter I had hosting the Undisclosed Addendum this week with somebody we all know and love remind me. Okay. All right. So, Toby, the first story, the David Tennant story. Those of us who have not watched Doctor Who know him from Broadchurch, but he's also from Doctor Who. Uh, he's on everything. Uh, he's so, he was a doctor, huh? He's literally on yeah. everything. That was a as you would call it an alpha move to like start this trio of episodes with the David Tennant episode, don't you think?
0: Yeah, no. It, it was good. And he's, you know, he's he's on everything and he's also a really really good actor. So I I think he pulled that off well. My issue with that one was, like, the interrogation actually had nothing to do with solving the crime. Mm. Like, they solved the crime because they found the same pattern in his trunk on the girl's leg.
2: Yeah, but didn't that come in during the interrogation? Wasn't that, like, a mid-interrogation discovery?
0: Yeah, they dropped it. (laughs) But it wasn't, like, they could have just done that just by doing police work (laughs) and not talk to him at all. So the whole thing was just kind of a moot point Mm. in the end. But... If you ignore that, the fact that it didn't mean anything, I, I thought that was the strongest one and partly is because of his acting and and maybe if I'd watch him in a different order and I hadn't like sort of settled into the formula of it, maybe I would have felt differently. It just seemed a little, fr- I thought the writing was a little bit better. It was a little fresher and it was a little more sort of the approach seemed a little more convincing to me by the interrogators yeah. to get them to talk. Serve rang a little more true.
2: Yeah, Laura had a a similar comment. She said in episode two, especially that kind of like trust your intuition moment where like, Somebody confesses
3: and, nah, somebody just doesn't feel right about that. I actually did like that part because I felt like that rang a little bit more true to me. Because I was like, gee, they're wrapping this up awful quickly. But then they're like, something just didn't seem right. And then it's like, whoop, we're back in the room again. I'm like, oh, God, we're in the fucking room again. Uh, We're never leaving this room. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) I like that part because I do think, you know, having done in both journalism and, and working as an investigator, that's something for me that really played, like, I'd be like, something doesn't feel right. Or if you get that feeling in your gut, you've got to learn to listen to it. So I liked that part when that happened, except for the, you know, their Christmas plans were delayed by that whole thing, you know, if they had just...
1: They had to get takeaway.
3: <laughs> I know. They and then But then it was like a little show. Then they're sitting over there like eating their takeaway, like watching this. I'm like, look at that. It's like a little show. Yes. <laughs> and that guy had a cocktail the whole time and we didn't even know it. I know.
1: <laughs>
2: and I do appreciate like our sudden adaptation of words like takeaway.
3: Well, you said it and then I said it too. I was like, I'm just going to say it. <laughs>
2: Kevin, you don't even listen to 20 British procedurals on Audible every month. And even you knew it was called a takeaway.
1: I uh, no! Some of us Americans are familiar with British expressions, <laughs> <laughs> like I knew what a lorry was. Oh, well, thank in God! Boots, so, thank
2: God, because guess what? We just booked a trip to for a couple months away from now. A We're Lord. going to London. Yes. We're going to London, Kevin. You better practice up. We are totally psyched. That's a sidebar, too, which you can also talk about in the after show. You're welcome to come. You're welcome to come. Yeah,
1: come to London in February. It's going to be great. We'll be <laughs> to Trafalgar Square. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Frank is like, let's go out to uh, Easter Island or
2: something. Oh, <laughs> well, listen, it was very inexpensive.
1: Stonehenge. That's where it was. Stonehenge. <laughs>
2: All right. Well, let's do what we do. I know that we haven't gotten like super deep into the content. But again, as we have confessed, we've only watched one quarter of this entire series, the UK portion of Criminal on Netflix. I'd love to take a poll of the panel right now. Give me your thumbs up or thumbs down review. Would you recommend to our listeners that they check this series out on Netflix? This is Criminal. Uh, More specifically, we reviewed Criminal UK. But I think it gave us a sense of the series as a whole thumbs up or thumbs down to our listeners. Check it out. Laura Bricker, I'm going to start with you.
3: So I'm going to say check it out. I will say you kind of get the sense. I didn't love. Is that a thumbs up? Is that a thumbs it's up? It's a thumbs up. I'm going to okay. say it's a thumbs up, but it's I'm, I'm going to say I didn't love it just because for me, I was just like, okay, I want some action here. And I guess I was just too impatient to watch it unfold in the interview room. But I did like the concept. I felt like it was a very smart show. There was a lot of strategy going on that you could kind of, you know, clue into as you were watching. So I, I think I'm going to say thumbs up because I am going to watch some of the other countries to kind of get a sense of how it continues to play out.
2: What about you, Toby Ball? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Criminal, more specifically Criminal UK on Netflix.
0: So I'm not like a huge fan of these types of shows that give like these like almost supernatural powers to these police to be able to like sort of outwit the crime or outwit the criminal. You know, I, I kind of, I don't know, for whatever reason, I don't really connect with those. And that's like crime scene stuff and criminal profiler stuff and Quincy. <laughs> oh
1: you
2: got a problem
0: God. with Quincy? Quincy? Don't
2: throw one. Jack Klugman? What are you going to say next? Scarecrow and
3: Mrs. King? <laughs> oh, my God. That Back? was my favorite show ever. <laughs> oh, my God. I love that show. Quincy. Jesus, wow. Toby.
0: I was expecting a slight reaction, but not a reaction <laughs> quite like that. It's no emergency with Randy Mantooth. It's mm-hmm. no
2: eight is enough. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Kevin Ty made that show, man. Not, not Randolph Mantooth. What's that? I'm just saying.
2: Randolph Mantooth was on emergency. Yes,
1: he was, but he didn't make this show. No, but Kevin Ty: was in, the one who made the show. Wasn't
2: Randolph Mantooth also in Backdraft, the movie?
0: I don't think so. I don't know. Huh.
2: Go, ahead. In, See, I, Go ahead. Are we still doing a review?
0: Somebody IMDB that. Um, it's Okay. I think the one with David Tennant's The Best of the Three, I thought the third one, The Lorry Driver, was pretty good for about the first half of it and then kind of fell apart. So I'm kind of like a unenthusiastic thumbs up, but it doesn't like suck, so I guess I'll... <laughs> I give it a uh, thumbs up just because I'm not going to give it a thumbs down.
3: How that's what that? I did, Toby. Right.
0: Faint praise. I support right. you, Toby. You could just I say no you. comment.
2: Well, I, I just want to say it was Scott Glenn who was in backdraft and not Randolph Mantooth. Oh, okay. And they're not similar, except they kind of are. So I understand why I made that mistake. And I'm sorry, Randolph Mantooth. I'm sorry that I mistook you for Scott Glenn. So I'm going to give a thumbs up for this. I really liked it, and it made me want to watch the rest of this series. I don't know. I think that uh, we're being overly critical. I think it's a fun concept, executed well. When I saw that the um, series that take place in other countries use the same set, I actually think that's super clever because it sort of takes out of it kind of that whole thing where you're like, what do police rooms look like in Germany? And what do they look like? Like, it, it's fun. And... Just enough hints of sort of the personal lives of the cops. I don't know. It reminded me a lot of the British procedurals that I am addicted to and listen to all the time in audiobook format. I liked it. I'm giving it a thumbs up. What about you, Kevin?
1: I am also a thumbs up. I thought it was a very tightly wound uh, drama, and it all played out there. Just uh, actors mano a mano. The writing I thought was good, and it was still able to, you know, build some uh, some some tension throughout. So I mean, what can I say? The concept is we're going to do a you know police interview. This is how you do it. You just wait till you get to a confession.
2: Moving on, a plane from London to New York vanishes over the ocean. Unsatisfied with the official story, college student Caitlin Lee conducts her own investigation into what happened to her twin brother and the rest of the passengers on flight 702.
3: Hello?
1: Who is this? I'm sorry, you don't know me. My name is Caitlin Lee. My brother was on 702. Yeah. Hi, my name is Caitlin Light. Listen, the reason I wanted to talk to you was... No, you don't want to talk to me. But yeah, I do, actually.
3: Breaking news. Breaking news This hour, A plane has crashed. Atlantic, Atlantic flights.
2: Radiotopia's ambitious drama, Passenger List, follows Caitlin as she questions friends and relatives of those who perished. In the first episode, we learned a woman who arrived at Heathrow abandoned her son at the airport before getting on the ill-fated flight.
0: Hi, Hello. Um, we've got a, a, a child here, Gate
1: Twenty Seven. He seems lost. A what? A, a child, a boy, of about um, how old? Are you? I'd say, I'd say, um five. He, he was found wandering through the terminal with a carton of juice and a backpack.
2: Caitlin is assisted by a secret source, feeding her information about the passengers. But, like the rest of the characters in the show, his motives are unclear. Is the airline lying about a bird strike taking down the plane? Was the airliner caught up in a global conspiracy? Who among the passengers played a role in Atlantic 702's fate? Passenger List attempts to be bold and elevate the podcast drama genre. Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about plot points through episode four of Passenger List. So to remain spoiler-free, go to the time code listed in our show notes. Now, Kevin, I know, uh, full disclosure, you and I, are at different places with this podcast. So I just want to step back for a second and talk about the mechanics of it. The sound design, presentation of it, and maybe most importantly, the advertisements. This is your captain speaking. Before we take off, please pay close attention to this important message from our sponsor, Squarespace. For those of you working during the flight, we offer complimentary Wi-Fi on board this aircraft, so you can work on that Squarespace website you've been meaning to build showcasing your work or promoting your business. From By the website- way, all three of you sent notes about the ads in this podcast, yeah. Kevin.
1: Yeah, I think I think it's inspired. I mean, what a great way to uh, incorporate the advertising in with the content. Uh, you know, you can see this a lot in a lot of the podcasts where, you know, it's announcers or uh, hosts or whatever they can just kind of tell what they like about it you can't do that necessarily with fictional characters so setting them as uh announcements on the airplane uh, i think was just a a brilliant move
2: i do like it too and it was risky because the ads are actually harder to hear so you just strain to hear them a little bit just like you just strain to hear airplane announcements Mm -hmm. uh but so clever laura i know you love that too um i did but kevin generally the sound design i mean I find it really, really strong. I think one of the best sound design podcasts we've ever reviewed on this show years and years ago was a show called The Message, mm-hmm. which had a lot of like naturalistic, like actually taking into account what the room would sound like sound design. Uh, in this case, in this show, it's a lot of recorder in the pocket sound. So hear like the rustling of fabric.
1: What do you do
0: here? Well, we have to test anything the planes could come into contact with when they're up in the air. So it's mostly water and ice, like a lot.
1: How much?
0: Five tons of water per minute,
1: almost two tons of ice per minute. More than Yeah, and I, I have seen some photos of them recording, and they're they're in a studio, but they're they're not like what we're doing. They don't have like these, you know, fancy microphones, and they get up real close and like read into the microphone. They have like somebody with a boom stand, kind of like um, they would on a on a movie set. And they're just having two actors kind of talk to each other and micing them from above or afar so that you get different kinds of tonal uh, results. Um, So it sounds like you're in a room as opposed to maybe two people across from each other on a microphone. And it lends itself a little more to, hopefully, a natural feel for the conversation. But I have to say that I don't think the actors always deliver that.
2: Really? All right, Toby. You actually said in one of your notes to me, "These shows rise and fall on their cleverness." This one is a real mix. What did you mean by that?
0: Well, I think like the first indication is that the first thing we talked about about this show was the ads, which <laughs> I don't think is necessarily great. I mean, the ads are great, but that's that wouldn't be what I'd want people to like be the takeaway.
1: Oh, that kind of is our show.
0: I, I don't know. So my my feeling is the setup is good. Like a flight disappears and you're trying to find out what happened. And part of doing that is by finding out who was on the plane, what their stories are, or whatever. So I think that part of it's fine. I think it's too reliant upon stuff that we've seen again and again. Like, so having like a mysterious stranger who calls up with clues, basically, (laughs) with inside information. Caitlin? It wasn't Bert. Even if they hit the birds, that isn't why the plane went down.
1: You really shouldn't call me unless it's an emergency.
0: I thought you said this app was safe. We couldn't be traced.
1: That's when I initiate. Your phone could be traced if you call me on an unprotected network.
0: That, to me, is like, it's a red flag. That's like what happens when you can't figure out a way to have the person find out on their own, right? And it's just a way of getting the story going without having the protagonist actually have to do much of anything, and I think it was the same thing with the with the psychic, where you know the psychic is able to sort of that the whole conversation was like a lot of exposition, but the psychic is able to draw out like all these issues that the protagonist has in a way where it's just being where you're just told what they are right, right? i mean you're you're not finding out, you're just being told so it's just things like that that I found you know they've got a good setup. Some good ideas, but then they just fall back on these, and I hate to say lazy, but kind of easy ways of telling the story when it seems like there's enough there to be a little more creative and rigorous in the actual storytelling to come up with something better than than what it is.
2: So it's interesting that you should say that because... I I don't necessarily disagree with you, except I just tended I just enjoyed it more, I think, in terms of sort of letting myself into it and letting myself go with it. And Laura, you sent a note about you you mentioned Homecoming, which was the last yeah. podcast, like this very ambitious star quality podcast reviews. We should mention like this podcast has real actors in it. Kelly Marie Tran. So she was in a, a recent movie in the Star Wars franchise, where she got a lot of shit for just basically being a woman in that. But she's a real, like, great actress. Patty Lapone this
0: plays the psychic witch did the feeling of dread come from the man sitting next to you the stewardess or the congressman why did it start? I don't know, dear.
1: I've learned not to question these feelings to just follow them. Everyone on that plane was doomed. I could feel it in my bones.
2: God, that sounds a lot like Patty Lapone, but it can't be sad it was that. Jesus Christ, Toby. Patrick Hines is clutching his pearls right now.
0: Was 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 she in Friday Night Lights or something? Patty Lapone <laughs> was
2: the or- originator of the role of Evita on Broadway and is an American legend.
0: Of the stage.
2: Of an a- but the stage and screen. Patty Lapone is famous. She's very, She's very famous. She's been in some
0: things. Life goes on. So you you heard her, and you're like, "Oh, it's that woman from Evita?
2: No, I knew it was Patty. LuP- Patty right. trans transcends Vita. She's actually famous, Toby. Anyway, okay. uh, Toby, you're
0: gonna take so much shit on. But Twitter. I but I do think that's fine. I deserve it. When
2: you talk about plotting and you talk about like shortcuts, sometimes I think with with um, productions like this, and even with Homecoming season one, where you yeah. have you know Ross from Friends and mm. uh, Catherine Keener, like you only have so much time with these people in the yeah. studio. Yeah. Whereas with the black tapes, this this podcast actually reminds me more of the early episodes of black tapes than anything else we've ever listened to, except that with black tapes, relatively unknown people, lots of time to experiment, they could draw things out over many, many episodes. And I, with this, I think it's kind of about efficiency. So maybe I'm more yeah. forgiving. Laura, yeah. what do you think of how, of how they sort of drew those plot points out?
3: Yeah, I mean I didn't mind it as much. I mean I I get it, but I didn't that didn't really bother me. I like I said I liked it better than Homecoming cuz Homecoming kind of irritated me when it was just like all through the phone calls, and I just felt like that did get a little bit frustrating in terms of that being how we were learning the story. The thing that did kind of irritate me, but I think it was probably intentionally. If you think about the story, as the character of Caitlin, I did not find her very likable. As I was listening to this, I was like, okay, so like she doesn't go to her twin brother's funeral. She's lying to everyone. She's just like dropping out of school, kind of being a pain in the ass. But I think that was probably part of the story, So you know, in terms of maybe that was the reaction they were trying to get from people in a way. You know, yes, she's a crusader and she's trying to find out what happened, but I was like, uh... Like what are her qualifications here exactly, and uh, how exactly does the guy with the uh, creepy robot voice find? Uh, you know, yeah. So I I I was forgiving as well of sort of things like I mean I was like that's fine with the the psychic that she's like revealing what this person's issues are and that she and her brother had this troubles and for me it was just that I felt like it was kind of like meandering with the plot a little bit in terms of focusing in on like who is responsible and what is the theory of this actual crash because it seemed like there was so many different theories. It was like, okay, when are we actually going to start to follow one that has some legs? Do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. And Kevin, it's very much like reminiscent of the, especially the first couple of seasons of Lost. No, it's not. Yes, it is. You know why? Why? Because the first season, especially of Lost, they would focus on one character and their intersection with the flight. And that would be a whole episode. It would be like, what is that person? What are they doing on this plane? And what is their backstory? And then that would play into the larger mystery. Like we just kind of went chapter by chapter.
1: Sure, Early episodes of Lost.
2: That's what this reminds me of.
1: But the difference is with Lost, each of those characters was important to the overall story. It seems like each episode is another red herring. And then you go to... This person might have something to do with it. You mean a passenger list. A passenger list. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, okay, you know, the co-pilot. This could be interesting. Nope, nothing there. Somebody with hemorrhagic fevers. Nope, not that. (laughs) And at some point in a mystery as it's building, you got to feel like you're picking up clues. Yeah. Right? And it's like, you might know this is a clue, but you don't understand what it means. Yeah. And then eventually you might get another one. But it feels like if we're getting clues, they're so subtle, we don't even know that they're there. And it just seems like we're going from, you know, one episode, is going to talk about this person who was on the flight and then this other person who was on the flight and you know, the friend of this person was on the flight, and we don't see how any of it is connected. And it doesn't—it doesn't. It doesn't even, not that we don't see that. That's how it's
0: not connected. We're not feeling how it's like the story yeah. is connected.
3: Yeah, I agree.
2: Toby's dying to break in.
0: I've got so many freaking comments about this, ah! but but one of them is <laughs> like almost from the start. You know that it's going to be something that has to do with her, right? It's it's it, or her brother. It's got to have some kind of emotional connection to her, or it's just. You know that's, correct. that's just the way yep. it's going to be. Caitlyn and yep.
2: Connor and their rift is going to be a part in this.
0: Yes. Yeah. So so even before you knew the rift, it's like she's not going to find out that it was some person that she never heard of before who happened to be, you know, on this thing and was this ass- and that was the way to assassinate her and that's the end. Like that's just never going to be the story. So you always know it's going to be her. The second thing, and I want to go back to Homecoming because I I think what made Homecoming, in my mind, the first season, just looking at it from a a story, right? And and part of it might just be, as, as somebody who's written fiction, just how you think about how you approach these things. But, like, there was never a time when... Catherine Keener or Ross from Friends.
2: (laughs) I love that we just call him that like without any apology. (laughs) He does have a name. David Schwimmer. He'll always be Ross from Friends on this podcast.
0: I I saw him on Curb Your Enthusiasm. I was like, oh, Ross from Friends. What's he doing here? (laughs) Um, But there's never like a four-minute expository like discussion given background on those guys. You picked up who they were by their interactions with each other or like by little things that you would hear in the background like... David Schwimmer being annoyed with being at a, like his kid's soccer game and like kind of blowing them off so he can talk on the phone about something that's going on. Like you got this sense of who he was through things like that, rather than him like having a recording of him talking to a shrink about all his problems. That to me, like when you're looking about, like I've got this information that I want to convey. It's like how do I get it across in a way that's interesting, and sort of these like expository conversations. It's like the least interesting possible way to do that. Like, I I understand that, you know, time is short. You don't want to spend a lot of time. But I thought Homecoming did a really good job of giving you a sense of who these people were without having any of that stuff and being very, very tight. Whereas in this one, it seems the character doesn't have a whole lot of personality other than what you hear her talk about her issues. Mm. That's my kind of frustration with this. And, and I guess I have brought this up with some other things is it's this super high quality stuff that's going on. It's a good concept. Why don't you spend the little extra time it takes to make the writing really good instead of sort of cutting these corners or taking the easy way out on these certain things? And I think it would be sort of more compelling and feel more natural and feel more suspenseful if you didn't feel like, okay, well, here we go for five minutes, like, learning about this person's problems.
2: Listen, I agree with you that it's not, like, super tight and not even super duper well-written. To me, it really much is a redux of Lost. Caitlin's character sounds, to me, and I don't know if this is, like, a vocal quality thing or an acting thing, but... Alex Regan, the protagonist in the black tapes, and Kelly Marie Tran's performance of Caitlin's character are so similar to me. Can you take us back to the night of April 7th,
3: 1993? This is the first time I've heard anything about this. Did you?
0: You didn't tell the FBI, did you? Well, when Sarah and I were catching up and I told her what I'd been working on, she mentioned you might have something that could be of interest to me for my show. What happened? After he told you they looked sick. Uh, is that I think a
1: good thing or a bad it's, thing? It's
2: not a great thing. I don't think that Kelly Marie Tran is, I don't think her performance here is like a standout performance. No,
1: she kind of fades away.
2: But I actually like that because I think what it's supposed to be is a regular person trying to get information. And I know it's sloppy. And I know at points it's dumb it, does it mean that it's not fun? I,
3: it's, it's I have to tell you,
2: it's really freaking fun to me. Listen, one of the things that I like that they do... Is they go through some plot points that would be endings and other stories like this. The zombie plane, the is the Islamic <laughs> terrorist. The, the, the they just sort of like shuffle through them like, no, it's not that, no, it's not that, no, it's not that in early episodes. And I don't see those so much, Kevin, as red herrings as, as like, let's just let the audience know it isn't these things. And I agree with Toby that it probably has to do with something very close to home to Caitlin, aka It's going to be a Clara Pockets reveal. She was inside of us all along, kind of thing. Laura,
3: can you just like help me out here? Why do I like this so much more than the boys do? No, I li- I mean, I don't, I, I just found it entertaining. Like I wasn't like, I was irritated. Like, like I agree with Kevin. Like I was like, okay, I would like some clues. Like I felt like if this is a mystery, it's great. But I just felt like it was going in all these different directions. But it was entertaining to listen to. I listened to it. I was like having this big, like crazy house cleaning organizational binge. And I listened to it all last Saturday. Some scenes just like, I was like, oh, it's kind of funny. When they had the guy that was like the, you know, infectious disease expert. Guys. Oh, the epidemiologist. And he's like crunching on his potato chips.
0: Sorry, there's a bit of a mess. Here, you can just sit right here. Thank you. Chip? Um, no, I'm good, thank you. So you could you uh say your name and, and what you do? Uh sure. William Schroeder. I'm an epidemiologist.
3: Great. Thank you. So, Ebola? Yeah. Um so there were parts that I really enjoyed, and there were parts where I was just like Well, you know... Yeah, maybe Ebola
1: (laughs) took the plane down.
3: Yeah. (laughs) Zombie plane. Yeah.
1: That was a great half an hour of my life. Oh, God.
3: I did, Rebecca. I I found it just kind of like fun to listen to because it was something different. And I was like... It was like, you know, scripted fiction. And it was, again, just trying something different. I like when we see a podcast trying something different, because we listen to so many that are so similar that it's kind of refreshing. Even if it's not perfect, it's like, well, that's that's cool. They're trying something different. I
2: mean, there are a lot of fiction podcasts out there.
3: Yeah, but... But this we is one from Radiotopia, which yeah. like is like they like honestly like there are a lot of fiction podcasts. It's from Laura Shippen who about, does like, Bright Lime Sessions, Town yes. and how fake Limetown sounded with the fake public radio thing, and when that was listen, like the first one Lime we listened Town
2: to, <laughs> was the fodder for so much comedy about yeah. how to not do sound design. I do want to hearken back to The Message, which we reviewed a million years ago, which had, Kevin, you will agree, perfect sound design, right? Pretty good, yeah,
1: very good.
2: Black tapes, which had, like, medium sound design, but was just fun because it was sort of like the X-Files and, like, silly and amateurish in a way that made it extra fun to me. This is different this is like definitely like a high quality outlet trying to do something fiction. This isn't like, um, did any of you guys listen to Wolverine that came out from Stitcher last year?
1: The Wolverine podcast? Yes. No. no.
2: It's great. It's great. It was not appropriate to review on the show, so I didn't ask us to, but that's an example of sort of like a, a universe and fiction like done super well.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, this can be done well. I'm just not sure it's done well here. I do admire, you know, that they're aiming high, and the things that they're doing on the tech side are really good. I just feel like they're not getting a great performance out of their lead actress. I don't think she's written very well because they have her going to reach out to people and then cower when she gets to them. And I just feel like they haven't really drawn a line on this plot because every episode is so different. I'm not sure really what's connecting them.
2: All right, so should we just review this podcast now, Kevin? What do you think?
1: I think I just did.
2: <laughs> so let's give our thumbs up or thumbs down review for Passenger List from Radiotopia. This is a fiction podcast. I mean, I like to call it true crime adjacent only because I think that even though it's fiction, it sort of fits in the genre, of something we might review, say, on Netflix or HBO. So it's in the wheelhouse, I think.
1: You don't have to apologize to people who've listened this long.
2: I will not apologize. For reviewing passenger list, Kevin. I will not apologize. <laughs> it's okay. that's taking us back all right Laura Bricker thumbs up or thumbs down for Passenger List from Radiotopia what do you think
3: oh boy I'm I'm being I might have to bring back thumbs sideways because so there's like parts I like about this and there's parts I don't like but I I would say it's something that you should listen to because it's story it's entertaining maybe it's going to be a little less frustrating in terms of the plot because I've been waiting for the plot to kind of move along so I'm going to go with a Small thumbs up, Toby Ball. What about you? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Passenger List,
2: the fiction podcast starring Kelly Marie Tran and the great Patty LaPone, who you don't know who she is from Radiotopia. What do you think, Toby?
0: Uh, I think she sang "Don't Cry for Me, Argentina." Is that correct? Of
2: course, she did.
0: <laughs> so now I know who she is. Sing it, Toby. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think what this really needed was like I've written three novels. And on each one of those, I had both my agent and then I also had really smart editors who would push back on me about stuff where it seemed like I'd cut corners. Or like my agent is always like, is that the most interesting choice you could make right there? I kind of feel like if there was somebody there pushing back on the writer for this and like demanding a little more thought and sort of rigor and creativity because I think the setup is good, but I just think there needed to be somebody to say, go back and look at this again. I think it would have just been much stronger. So I'm going to give it a thumbs down. You know, I think there is some stuff that that's really good about it, but it seemed like there's a lot of potential that was not fulfilled.
2: Yeah. I don't agree with any of that critique, but I'm giving it a thumbs up because I'm finding it really fun to listen to. I think it's cool. And, it's very hard for me, even when I see something's imperfections, in but I'm loving listening to it to give it a thumbs down. I will once again invoke what, in retrospect, I'm thinking more and more and more is a great podcast, The Clearing, which you know obviously just finished a few weeks ago. As I was listening to it, I kept asking Kevin, like, why do I like this? It's weird. Why do I like it? It's just making these turns. Ultimately, though, what it comes down to for me is, When an episode of Passenger List drops, I want to listen to it and find out what happens. I'm enjoying it. It's cool and it's fun. And for me, that earns it a thumbs up. What about you, Kevin?
1: Well, Rebecca, I'm sorry. I think I'm going to be a thumbs down. I I don't agree with your assessment. I'm more with Toby. Look, I really liked the beginning of the first episode. I thought the setup with the kids left at the airport was brilliant. And I liked the characters at first. But I just felt like, as far as the plot went, it, it hasn't really gone anywhere. It just keeps bouncing around. I don't see a lot of energy from the characters. Some of them are are pretty one dimensional. And I gotta say though, the sound design, a plus. The you know the attempt to do something different, make it all sound great is good. But that's not gonna make up for a story that's not really compelling. And I don't want to stick around and listen to the next time.
2: Alright, forgive me, guys. I'm breaking format temporarily, just for a second, to tell you we've added something to the lineup of our Patreon after show tonight, which is that I texted Patrick Hines during that ad break to tell him that Toby does not know who Patty Lapone is, and his reaction will have to be saved for the Patreon after show.
1: Is it in all caps? <laughs>
2: <laughs> now it's time for my favorite part of this podcast, a little something I like to call the crime, crime of the week. Of the week. Isabel Albright of San Lorenzo, California, passed away last month at the ripe old age of 102. Oh. Along with the condolence cards came a bill from DirecTV. The satellite service provider was charging the dead woman $160 for an early termination fee. Oh. You know. For dying. Oh, my
1: God.
2: The family says they never signed a two-year contract with DirecTV. The company says although Isabel had been a customer for years, she recently got a box set for another room, which came with a 24-month contract. The family says the second receiver went into a back room where a hospice nurse was staying, and they wouldn't have agreed to a two-year contract for their dying, shall I say it again, dying 102 year old grandmother <laughs> nobody is that optimistic
1: <laughs> two years no problem <laughs> after a local
2: tv station did a story direct tv's parent company at&t tore up the bill and apologized so panel this proves you cannot outlive your subscription services who else is charging this poor dead woman every month Laura bricker what do you think
3: I'm going to go with the jelly of the month club.
2: (laughs) 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 Just saying. Toy Ball, who do you think else is charging this poor dead woman every month for a service she is obviously no longer using?
0: Gold's gem.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Very good. Kevin
2: Flynn, what about you? Who do you think is charging this poor woman? For a service she's clearly not no longer using.
1: I think it's uh, this uh, food company called Hello Spoiled. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. Food comes, and it's already rotten, and so you're just supposed to throw it on the grave.
2: Oh, my God. I mean, why is nobody talking about Columbia CD Club? Oh, <laughs> Records oh and
1: tapes. Well, it only cost her a dime. I think that's chasing me yeah,
2: from yeah. when I was 13 years old.
1: By the way, I subscribed as Phil Harmonic.
2: <laughs> to the Columbia Record and Tape <laughs> <Yes>, Club? <laughs> yes. Yeah,
1: Things we keep coming to the house to Phil Harmonic.
2: Is that like your subscription to Women's Day to Anne Flynn? Who the fuck uh. got me a subscription
1: for <laughs> Women's Day?
2: Oh, Kevin all right we should probably end on that note but before we do Laura Bricker do we
3: have a cat of the week this week yes we do we have a cute little kitten a black kitten named Stormy Heidi Hauser sent me a nice video it's her daughter's new kitten Stormy called the Kamikaze Kitten because she flings herself down the stairs and that's the video that I have. But she's she's bouncing right back up again and she's still going, so she's doing okay. And what I appreciated about Heidi is she really got into this, made a whole photo where she called it her grand kitten and taken pictures of herself with Stormy following the stare episode. So I was like, she's definitely getting into the crazy cat grandmother thing. So I can support that. That's amazing. All right, Lara Bricker, people want to send you their pets, cats,
2: dogs, iguanas, emus, whatever to be cat of the week. How can they find you on Twitter? At Lara Bricker. And Toby Ball, if other people besides me and Patrick Hines and Kevin Flynn Want to give you shit for not knowing who Patty LaPone is? How can they find you on Twitter?
0: At Toby Ball N-H. That's Corky's mom.
2: Yes, it is. And Kevin Flynn, who want to reach you on Twitter, how can they find you?
0: I'm at Kevin P Flynn.
2: And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoie. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On. And I encourage you to join the amazing community in our official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. Support this show on patreoncom Media. and you'll get the Crime Writers On after show. Right now, you'll also get the Toby Balls Deep Dive Book Club podcast and Laura Brickers Leave It To Bricker podcast, and yes, you will get an episode of Married With Podcast. Our theme song was performed by the New York Sky Jazz Ensemble, and used with their permission. This show was recorded in the Yoga Loft above the Bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio. But not Studio C, the closet in our basement where I turn into a psychic witch. Just kidding. I'm a witch all the time. <laughs> On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. later. First up this evening, Netflix's new true crime series is an anthology. Kevin, do you want to explain what an anthology is for nope. our listeners? Okay. <laughs> In Criminal, UK, we see a specialized team try to get suspects to crack. Oh, my God. Just like the Chinese food burp there was crazy. I'm sorry, that whole fucking thing again. Wait, what? I just burped so loudly, but it was like one of those burps that was coming up from my stomach. Kevin could hear it, right? Yeah. That's awesome. That's
1: called a
0: fart, but go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) Mouth fart? Came up from her stomach. Oral farts.
2: Okay, I just queefed a little. All right, here we go. God damn it! God.
0: (laughs) Jesus. Listen,
2: pushing boundaries. We've been doing that since 2015. First up, Netflix's new true crime series is an anthology set in a police interview room and its adjacent observation suite.
1: And my.
3: Oh, my God. This, God. See, this is what I was listening. Oh, my God. This is like being with middle
2: schoolers again. <laughs> the first
3: I've laughed in days. Okay, here we go. First
2: up.
0: Right, I got it. Hold on. Cat emergency.
2: If it's alive, it's not really an emergency.
0: We'll give it a minute.
1: Partners, Partners in Crime Media. In crime. media.